Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men, because all sinned. For before the law was given, sin was in the world, but sin is not taken into account when there is no law. Nevertheless, death is reigned from the time of Adam, <coughs> excuse me, to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and gift came by the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, overflowed to the many. Again, the gift of God is not like the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if, by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundance provision of grace and, and the gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, also the result of the one act of righteousness was justification that brings life to all men. For just as though the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, also made through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made righteous. Excuse me. The law was added so that the trespass might increase, but, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life to Jesus Christ our Lord. Good morning. I had the uh, privilege, I just say, I grew up in a privileged family. Not privileged from the sense of a financial, but privileged from the sense of a family. I uh, grew up next to my grandmother and grandfather and lived in the same house as long as my childhood existed. I remember one time I popped in to see Grandma and uh, she was in her living room and I walked in to say hello and uh, she just looked at me and she says, you know, you look so much like your father. And I, I think I was probably about eight years old and I, I looked at the picture behind me that she was looking at on the bookcase and I, no way. <laughs> I don't look anything like my father. I, I talked to my pap oh, every weekend, and, uh, and so the other day I asked him, I said, Dad, what, what were you like when you were 49? He kind of laughed at me, he said, boy, huh, I, I, I don't remember. Um, I said, were you on high blood pressure medication? I said, yeah. Anything else? Oh, yeah, I was bald. Okay. <laughs> And uh, I thought to myself, you know, when I was growing up, can I see the picture here? Okay. When I was 20, I says, maybe, just maybe, I'm going to get by with this. <laughs> it's not going to hit me. Because my dad at that time, he was pretty thin when he was that age. But uh, next picture. And there we are last year. I'm sorry, I can't deny the resemblance. <laughs> Thank you. 
you know, as we take a look at Romans chapter 5, there's going to be some, some tough things to deal with um, in the sense of we're being held accountable for something Adam did. And we might ask the question, boy, do I really deserve this? But in the same sense as we take a look at it, what Paul brings out is that the gift of God is also something maybe we don't really deserve, but he gave it anyways. So we're going we're gonna to explore a little bit. You know, and we started back in, in Romans with the idea that uh, uh, this gospel of salvation, that all men are sinners. And we took this Roman walk and we learned about justification by faith. It's not by works that we receive this salvation, but it's by trusting in God. Even, the, even in the Old Testament, we read that Abraham was not justified by what he did, but he was justified by works. Then last week we have Jackson was taking us a little bit further and talking about where our current situation is now. Now that we're believers, what is our standing before the Lord? We're in a new relationship, no longer enemies with God. We're in a position of grace. We have a redirected heart. And we're to rejoice in this hope. We're to rejoice in the sufferings and tribulations that come along that prove our character. And we're to rejoice in the God who demonstrated his love towards us and while we were yet sinners, he died for us. And this morning as we take a look at it, we're going to deal again. We ask ourselves that question um, as we take a look at uh, two different gifts. I'm going to call them two different gifts. And in case you follow along in, in your uh, bulletin, there, there is a misprint there. It's, it's not uh, uh, The title of the message is The Gift That Keeps On Giving. But in, our, in, our, in the morning as we explore Romans chapter 5, the question that comes to me is, how do we get ourselves into the situation? Why should I be held accountable for something that happened to my great-great-great-great-grandfather? Then we're going to explore the contrast, not a comparison, but a contrast between the gift that we inherited through Adam and the gift that we can embrace through Christ. And how much greater, a couple of different words you're going to see in those passages. One is the, it focuses on the title of gift, and the other thing is how much more is a contrast, the gift of Adam and the gift of Christ. And lastly, take a real quick look at the consequences or the impact that these gifts had on us. But let's start in verse, in verse 12. Bottom line is, whether we like it or not, is Adam's trespass introduced the gift of death. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. Paul pictures this idea, this sin and death is entering, entering the world through one man, with the result that this death permeated all of humanity. It's kind of like as a kid when you might have built a little dam, and uh, you know, maybe across the river or at the ocean, and, and you put a little finger in that dike to let the water start coming out, and all of a sudden it just kind of spread out, and pretty much you didn't have a dam anymore. Well, the sense is in that same sense where Adam, in his, in his action, he opened the floodgate for all that has come upon us as in the, in the uh, sense of condemnation. Death comes to all men not by reason of our own actual transgressions or individual sin, but because of our involvement with Adam. We are related to Adam. We are in Adam. I know it's difficult for us to grasp this because in our American mindset, we are independent, we're self-sufficient, 
And we think that each person should be held accountable for their own actions and destiny. We might say he gets, he's getting what he deserved. Paul's argument is simply this. He's saying that death is the punishment for breaking a command. In the Garden of Eden, in the Garden of Eden, Adam was given a command, do not eat of the tr- fruit of the tree of uh, good and knowledge. In that day that you eat thereof, you will surely die. But Adam broke that specific command. He ate the fruit. And this was not just a, merely just a, a mistake or something you can set aside, but this was actually Adam choosing to be an independent creature, denying the dependence upon God, and in a sense making himself a god in place of God. And when Adam broke that command, as a result, death and sin passed on to his descendants, just like I inherited, inherited baldness. We inherit, we participate in the sin of Adam. Sometimes I think to myself, what would have been like if uh, I'd been in the Garden of Eden before the fall? If that had been me, instead of Adam and Eve, maybe it was Brian and Eve or Brian and Cindy, I don't know. But you know, as that temptation was presented to itself, and, I, and, I, and I, if I'm really honest with myself, I think through it. No, boy, I don't know if I would have resisted. But I'm thinking from that terms of what is in my heart now. Because in my heart now, I know that I would and have and continue to fail or to sin. To me, I think that's just a testimony of the fact that we inherited that sinful nature, that it's a part of us. And we all suffer the consequences and the guilt of that action It goes on to say, and in this way, death came to all men because all sinned. Adam's disobedience didn't not necessarily mean that all men necessarily and without their consent committed this particular act of sin, but that we were born into a race that's separated from God and an enemy with God. We're born into that. Again, I understand that that might be hard to hard to grasp or hard to, to get the handle because we say we don't really deserve that. But I think we need to grasp that because the other side of it is we come to the gift of Christ, we could say the same thing. We don't really deserve that either, do we? And that's the foundation of Paul's logic as he moves through this passage of Scripture that as we didn't deserve or as, as we sense that, that uh, passing on of Adam's sin to us, we can also grab a hold of the righteousness that Christ brings into our life. Someone says that the ruin of the old creation, as the old man Adam, was sin. Sin could never be a private matter, but corrupted the whole race, which consisted of men born out of true relations with God and condemned constantly to worsen their relationship, whether they carelessly ignored it or self-righteously attempted to mend it. Like planets robbed of the center of their orbit, they could not possibly keep a proper course. We have been robbed of our orbit, God on the throne, and we cannot keep our proper course. 
in this uh, season of, of parties, and like I was telling your first service, I, I'm partied out already. I had uh, a party th- Friday night with my employees, and I had another party I wasn't really planning on going to last night. We catered a bank with 80 people in my community, and I needed a little bit of help, and I spent seven hours there, and I'm tired. But I don't know where they got this particular um, thing, the white, gelf- white elephant gift exchange. Did you ever hear of that? Ever participated in that? I almost brought one that I had received. I'm not, Cindy says she got it. I'm not sure who that was. But anyways, we have this thing that's in our cupboard. It's a rubber, uh, rubber chicken. And you know how the white elephant gift exchange goes? Is, you, know, you, you, you open up a gift and then somebody comes and steals that gift away from you if it's a good one. And there's always one of those two gifts. And, and I got stuck with it. We know the reality is we're stuck with sin. And I think by our actions we prove, yeah, we inherit it from Adam. It's, it's original sin. It's, it's we, we, we're identified with him in that action that he did. But we're still stuck with it. Now Paul goes on to read in verses 13 and 15. He says before, uh, one of the things that is evidence that we deserve sin, deserve death, is that from the time of Adam, when Adam broke that command until the giving of the law, what was taking place? Death was reigning even in that time period when the law had not been given. And he's saying that this is proof, this is evidence that shows that we all deserve to die. The very fact that death was reigning is proof that we had sin to account for. That this judgment that was pronounced upon Adam and and the rest of us just continues to work relentlessly. Uh, in my in my work, we have uh, we're, we're doing some things a little bit differently. We're I'm in the medical field, and and uh, we're uh, incorporating um, all our medical records onto computer. And as a result of that, we've had to expand our computer base. You know, have a, all these different computers throughout the building. And uh, one of the things that we discovered was that um, with all this access to computers and the internet, that sometimes some of our workers were not really working. Maybe doing a little shopping, a little surfing, MySpace, IMM, etc. But the problem with that situation was that my handbook did not address computer use. And so we changed that, and now we address computer use and the, the proper use of But in the meantime, do we have, can I say that, okay, this employee who's wasting all this time on this non-related work, are they sinning? Well, it doesn't say in the handbook, does it? In that same sense, we take a look at what Paul is talking about here. From that time when Adam sinned to the time of, of uh, the, when the law was given, even though sin was not imputed or charged their account because there wasn't specific laws to break, they still were sinning and they were suffering from their sin because death continued to happen. One of the things we find in this last part of verse 14 is, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. Again, that's that idea as we take a look at the, the, that sense that I didn't really deserve that. Well, 
a pattern to come. What's the thing to come? The next thing to come is the gift that Christ brings. And just as we can say in that one sense, or we feel that we don't deserve that, if we don't embrace the fact that we have original sin, then we have a difficult time embracing the fact that we can gain righteousness because of what Christ did. And so we have to do that. That's the, the part that is, we have to grit our arms around. Let's take a look at the gifts. Verses 15 through 17. Again, I said uh, two things to take note of. One is the, the idea of how he talks about gifts three different times. And also that phrase, how much more? Because, again, it's not a comparison, but it's contrasting the gift of Adam, quote-unquote gift, and the gift of God. As we look at this, I'd like you to think of it in terms of, of uh, we're sitting down together and you have two gifts. One is from Adam and one is from God. And we're going to open them up. And think of it as you open them up and you discover what is inside it and the response to those kinds of things. The first comparison that he says, The gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? So we open up Adam's gift. And this, the, it's, it, in a sense, they're contrasting the, the application of it. We open up transgressions. The gift from Adam, and what do we find? We find many died. Ooh, what a great gift. Thank you, Adam. And I think in terms of, of the death, is, you know, death is kind of, in one sense, something final. You know, as in our, in our human thinking, you know, when a baby is born, you think, oh, they have their whole life ahead of them. And then we come to the funeral, and then and the, the end of, and then life stops. And, then, and what Adam has given to us is that end part of it. It's like, oh, it's over. In contrast to that, he talks about the gift of Christ. And it's a continuous gift. It's not one that ends in a death, but it gives life, and it brings that on to us, and it, and it continues to grow. It's a life renewed, and it bounds to the many. It doesn't... It just uh, that sense of just overflowing is what that sense of the word is. Uh, Chronicles of Narnia. I'm a fan. In the first book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, we have all the figures, all the inhabitants of Narnia have been frozen by the white witch, right? They turned into stone, hard and cold. And in the end, when Aslan comes through, he breathes on Aslan being the image of God. He breathes on the statues. And from a cold, hard, gray stone, there begins to flow through them this warm, flesh-colored energy and life. And that's what I think of when I think of that gift that we open, that God has given to us, where life is just beginning as we accept and as we receive it. And it continues to overflow and to grow and to challenge us. Reading on, again, the gift of God is not like the result of one man's sin. Judgment followed one's sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. We open up Adam's gift, and we find judgment, which results in condemning and being condemned. We're condemned. The gift that he given us. Again, what a great gift. We open up the gift that God gives to us, and we have free gift that results in justification. We have been declared righteous is the gift that he gives to us. Reading on, For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned, 
And this comparison is the, the comparison of, of who is in control, of who is reigning. When Adam, we open up the gift of Adam, it's by the transgression of the one, death reigned through. And when we open up the gift of Christ, we have gift of grace reigning, of abundant life, of righteousness, of, of, of reigning through life. You know, everywhere we look, we're faced with, as we look at Adam's gift, we're faced with death. And we celebrated Claude Levitt's memorial yesterday. We know there's hope for him, and we understand that. But if we stop and think about the deaths that we suffer through, loved ones, close ones, close family members, tragedies that happen in, in malls while people do Christmas shopping, tragedies across the sea as we hear of the of soldiers and civilians walking through the marketplace and coming to an end. Death is reigning. But the reality is, is we understand Christ's gift too. It's the promise of the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. It's a gift that keeps on giving. Take a little detour. I want to take just a little detour and take a... Imagine with me. A few weeks from now, we're, most of us are probably going to be sitting around the Christmas tree either, either uh, the night before Christmas, if you open your gifts then, or the day of Christmas. You have uh, setting before you uh, things that you've either chosen out carefully or had to run to get quickly. And for some of you who don't like shopping, the love of your children has driven you out into the depths of the deep blue mall. I went on Friday after Thanksgiving with my wife for six hours. Do I get some kind of reward for that or what? I don't know. Yeah. But let's just say that after these gifts, at the conclusion, you know, you've opened your gifts, you've shared them with one another, the paper's been thrown away, and you, you, sit, you, you walk into the kitchen and you sit down, and you call your family in, and you take out your checkbook, and you say, so... How much do I owe you for that gift? Why do we do that with God? Why is it so difficult for us to be good gift receivers? Perhaps that's maybe like some of you today, that you're resisting accepting his gift because you think you have to earn it. Or maybe you received it, but you think that you have to work hard now to keep it. To prove yourself worthy to have it. I mean, stop and think, it's, in, it's, in, it's ingrained in us. How many of you are doing your Christmas cards and you're looking at last year's Christmas cards so that you can send cards to the ones who sent cards to you? Or maybe in those casual gifts that take place, you know, casual relationships with friends or, or workers, and you're thinking, I have to get something for them because they got something for me last year. That's our mindset. We want to earn that thing. We want to get that gift or make that gift or pay it back in some way. Let's try something this Christmas. Would you just Everybody just take a deep breath. Let's relax. Let's relax in receiving gifts. When you get a gift this year, 
Don't try to think about, oh, I'm going to pay this back. I'm going to give them back something better next year. I'm not going to record this in my memory. After Christmas is over, throw away those Christmas cards so you can't remember who gave you one. Relax. As you're opening up those gifts this year, accept it. Just take it. Be grateful to the giver. Rejoice in the fact that you're loved and remembered. And do this this year. Think of the gift that Christ gave. Don't try to earn it. Don't try to prove yourself. Just receive it. Embrace it. And just lovingly respond, thank you. We can't work for it. We can't earn it. Accept it. Paul goes on in verses 18 through 21. And he summarizes what he has gone over. Detailing the consequences. These are the results. I kind of think of this in a sense that this is, a, if we could put a musical score to these last verses, we would have a crescendo leading up to a fortissimo. I said it right this time, didn't I? Oh, good. I can just see Paul getting excited. Because we've been going through Romans, we've been talking about uh, these different, uh, the, the, the results of the gift of salvation and, and, and all our standing in God and our standing in Christ as we have been redeemed, as we stand now righteous, we're justified in His eyes. We have found favor with Him again. We're not at odds, we're not at war with God. We have peace with God. And so we have all this, this understanding, because it's important to understanding what our position is. But now he's getting to that point where he crescendos through this. And he gets to, now do this! But that's chapter 6, and so you have to wait till next week. <laughs> what does he say? The results. Consequently, as a result, just as the result of one trespass, we have condemnation. We're condemned. That's the result of Adam's gift. On the other hand, we have Christ's gift, the result of one act of righteousness. It brings life for all men. That's the consequence. Secondly, the consequence is one of our status or our position. As we opened up Adam's gift, the result was that his disobedience makes all us sinners. We are in some way embraced in that idea, embraced in that act that he did. We are a participant in that act because we are his sons and daughters. And the result is it put us at odds with God, that we became enemies to God. That was the result. In contrast to it, the act of the other the other type, the one, Christ, made us many righteous. Our position now is restored to favor. As you read through, as you talk about the gifts, you see the gifts, it talks about the grace is just overflowing and abundant. As we hit the one part here where it talks about the overabundance, it's hyperabundance. 
More than we could ever embrace, more than we could ever need or use. Overflowing. His one act as we embraced it has results in our righteousness because we embrace Him. We have on the one hand Adam. The law was added so that the trespasses might increase. We were sinners, yes. But when the, when the law came in, all of a sudden we had a checklist of things that says this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. And our sins increased because we were given specifics as to what our nature was driving us to. On the other hand, we have grace abounding all the more. The gift that Christ gives to us just abounds, again, superabundantly, more than we could ever use. What a wonderful gift. And lastly, the control or the reign. It specifically states, so that just as sin reigned in death, Adam's gift to us brings this reign of death. It's in control. We didn't have any options at that point. But this new gift, as we opened up, that Christ gives to us, so that grace might reign through righteousness. I want to say there's a new kid on the block. We no longer are subjected. We no longer have to subject ourselves to this reign of death, to this reign of sin in our lives. We now have an option. We have an option of the gift that Jesus Christ gives to us. To, to be in his favor, to be righteous, to bathe in grace as it overflows into our lives. But again, that's next week because we get into it. Again, Paul just crescendos here, and I can just see him. Yeah, I'll sneak a little peek. Okay? What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? No, he's going to shout that one. May it never be! Now, and then we get into the basics. Okay, now what's our response? We have, we have grace that reigns now. We can embrace that. How are you at receiving gifts? This morning, again, as we take a look at Romans, this particular passage, I just ask you to embrace receiving gifts Let's practice it this year. Let's, let's, as we go through our gift-giving season, continue to reflect, there's nothing I'm going to do to try to pay this back or earn it. There's nothing I'm going to do to respond to it. I'm just going to receive it. And as I receive it, as I open this gift, I'm going to remember and thank God for the gift that he's given me. I don't deserve that one either, but I'm going to take it. Lord, thank you. What a great and wonderful gift that you have bestowed upon us. Help us to be good receivers. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, yesterday here at Coe, we, we had a uh, memorial service for someone who did just that, but uh, not on the mountains here in Idaho, but uh, he brought the good news to a remote jungle region in South America. His name was Claude Levitt. Many of you knew Claude and his, uh, his wife Barbara over the years, uh, their retirement years here in, in Boise. Uh, just precious saints, very quiet, unassuming, but uh, I have a couple words to share about them. 
But uh, we're also going to introduce some guests, some special guests who came up for that memorial service. So uh, Boxley and Fred, Trudy, uh, Roy and Asango, if you'll come up right now, we'll introduce you in a couple minutes. But uh, uh, Claude was a, a missionary known around the world in, in missionary circles. He was a, a great pioneer church planter, almost of legendary stature among missionaries. He worked through the 50s and the early 60s, um, and, excuse me, through the early 70s, to bring the gospel to tribal peoples in British Guyana and Suriname, north, uh, northeastern uh, South America. And in particular, he worked with two Indian tribes, the YYs and the Trios. I have a photo to, to show you, Claude and Barbara right here. You probably, most of you know them. Uh, Barbara went home to be with the Lord two and a half years ago, and Claude just uh, three weeks ago. And again, we had the memorial service yesterday. And uh, a lot of people have come into town for that, um, both from nearby as well as from, from far away. Uh, there are probably some members of, uh, of the Levitt family here with us. If, if you are, would you just stand up for a moment so we can recognize you? So, really good to have you here. Thank you. And uh, we also have some special guests. Jerry's going to introduce them to us. Yes, it's my uh, privilege this morning to introduce our guests. They've flown in from Suriname and Dallas, Texas, and all over to uh, to be with us as we uh, honored Claude's memory yesterday. Uh, we have Roy Lytle on the end there. He's the field director in Suriname. He works there and, and oversees all the all the work in Suriname. Uh, Bogsley Boggs is from Dallas, Texas. He's the He's the mission rep from uh, for uh, what's the mission Crossworld? Excuse me, I have I have stage fright all the time. And then uh, uh, Fred and Trudy uh, Vermillion live in Suriname, and Claude finished the New Testament, and there and when his uh, illness uh, got worse and he couldn't continue, the Vermillions are continuing with the Old Testament translation, and they'll have that done in some time here. And then we have a Sango that is the chief of the of the trio Indians. And he's a believer, and he, he's worked for many years with Claude in translating the Bible after he came to know the Lord and, and did a great work. Uh, I'd like to ask a Sango a few questions here that he can he can answer for us. The first one would be, uh, what uh, what did you know of God before uh, Claude came to your village? Ma, you might tell me, Wapo, Colony, Tesuangle, Atao, Tineponamake, Kanjuame, Piana Ponau. My friends, before Claude came, I didn't know anything about God. Idame, Tatulune, Udibaya, Kakulumaka Ukani. And I spoke to the evil spirits and said, Help me. Udibaponau, Atao, Yikulumaya Tese. When I spoke to the evil spirits, they didn't help me. They make me mean. And even my heart, I was just heavy. And in my mind, I was darkened. So I walked in darkness from place to place. So when Claude came in my darkness, 
He enlightened me with the words he brought. I had two spirits that I believed in. One was the alligator, and my dad told me to drink the blood of the alligator. And I did drink that blood. Uh, but when I drank the blood, it didn't help me. It made me mean to my friends. But when Claude came, he told me about God, and I learned about God's being. And he told me about God in heaven and about Jesus, his son. And he said, receive Jesus and confess your sins. And I said, how can I receive Jesus? I just take him with my hands? No, he said, no, just confess your sins to him. And when I confess my sin, Jesus, I, I accept it. And at that time, I was just like here in the light. And my former life of being mean uh, became my old life. And when I thought about my drinking the blood of the alligator, Claude told me about 1 Peter 1 verse 18. We are told there that we are being have been bought with the blood of Jesus, not with gold and silver, but with the blood of Jesus Christ. And today we are here and we are one, uh, my brothers and sisters, one in the new birth. Let me share just one thing. There are others who are just like me. So think about that. One one other quick question. Uh, we've heard that uh, your your tribe is now going out to other tribes to share the gospel. Is is that true? And is it going well? And um, yes, indeed, we do go to others uh, to tell. Uh, right now, my brother Tunahana is among the Apalais. 
Well, on behalf of all of us here, we'd just like to thank all of you for coming so far to, to help us uh, honor Claude yesterday in our celebration. <laughs>